Have you ever wondered how a kangaroo can live in a tree? Or what about crocodiles and how they can stay underwater for hours at a time and not be seen? Maybe what keeps you up at night is your thoughts of how box jellyfish can be the most venomous animal in the whole world towards humans? Or is it your curiosity of what really goes on inside that caterpillar cocoon for a magnificent stunning butterfly to emerge? Well, don't worry, as I have all your questions answered and much, much more with our following Wild Chats, I am going to bring you the most amazing guests. Hey everyone, my name is Jodie Creek and I'm a wildlife educator and huge advocate for Australian animals. And of course their habitats and ecosystems as well. But what I'm truly passionate about is bringing you information that you need to connect with the natural world. So someone once said to me that I may not be able to change the world, but I can change the world around me. So let's hope that we can inspire you to make change at home and therefore together we do actually change the world. So get that cup of tea ready and enjoy the following Wild Chats. Shay, how are you going? I'm really well this morning. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Thank you so much for jumping on. I've been trying to track you down for some time. (laughs) So you've been busy uh, with all the wallabies and all your massive projects that are going on. So everyone who's listening, I have uh, Shay Agar online with us today and we're from, uh, well, I'm from North Queensland, (laughs) Cairns, and you are also, are you from North Queensland? Yeah, well, I was born in Brisbane, moved to Darwin, moved to Cairns, Mission Beach, back to Brisbane now, back in Cairns and I've been here for quite a few years now. Right. Wow. (laughs) You do move around. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I grew up in Brisbane too, actually, but I now call myself a local. Yeah. Same. I feel like uh, when I think of home, Cairns is definitely it for me. Oh, it's stunning. How beautiful is it? Yeah. Seriously, we live in the most amazing part of Australia. Yeah. So I'm excited about our chat today because um, I believe that there's a couple of things within this conversation. Um, One, it could be controversial, (laughs) which, you know, anything to do with wildlife really is, uh, I guess. It depends on everyone's opinion and and where you're from. But also I'm really keen to learn more myself about your project, which is the Agile um, project and exactly what it is that you do, why you do it, and also just a little bit about yourself because I actually first got to see you when you won an award at the Cairns uh, what was it, International Women's Award or uh, yeah. something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a shock, but it was uh, Young Woman of the Year. Yeah, that's it. Council Award, so it was really exciting. That is exciting. So how about you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, who you are, what what you what you've done and what, what you're doing now, and then we'll just see where this wild chat takes us. Yeah, sounds great. So I guess I always start off by saying that I was pretty much raised alongside Joey's. I don't know how much Joey poop I must have eaten when I was a little girl, Uh, but my mom was a wildlife parent and that's definitely what started my passion for it. Uh, What many people wouldn't know is that I, after being raised with them and having a mom that dedicated every moment of her living and breathing life to them, uh, the children, myself and maybe my brother, kind of learned to resent them after a little while. So I was like, nope, I'm going to uni, I'm getting back to Brisbane. And there I studied a Bachelor of Science and majored in ecology. Uh, After the first two years of being in uni, I really found that I was not a normal child because raising uh, joeys and being raised with joeys and all these other crazy animals like snakes <laughs> and oh my gosh, I couldn't even tell you how many weird things they've had. One time I came home and there was an albatross in my shower and mum was all chill about it. She's like, oh, there's this just, you know, massive bird in your shower. Uh, we had a sea turtle oh, in the wow. bathroom as well at one stage. So it was really crazy. I think leaving home, I realized how weird my life actually was, but also how bored I became very quickly when I didn't have those crazy critters in my home. Uh, so I mm-hmm. got straight back into wildlife caring after taking a short break of two years and then uh, did possums and birds in Brisbane and then I saved up enough money to travel the world and it was always my dream to go to Africa and uh, volunteer Mm. with elephants, big creatures and everything. So So I was planning to do that 
Uh, but before I left, uh, and you know, I might regret not going, especially in these kind of times, but I, I heard about Cairns and the issue that uh, Trinity Beach on our northern beaches was having with these wallabies. And so I just thought, oh, I might just pop back to Cairns for about two months, <laughs> give my time there to help move these animals because I applied for the relocation permit of wallabies while I was still in Brisbane and it got approved. Not many people know that as well. Uh, three days before I was about to start in Cairns, they pulled the permit. And when I say they, this is state government. Uh, this is the Department of Environment and Science. So they're the ones that are supposed to protect all of our beautiful, wonderful creatures here in Queensland. But they pulled the permit three days before we are going to start because they said it was erroneously awarded. I don't know what that means. That, that's a pretty mm. big <laughs> over time. So uh, that was a massive shock. Little did I know it would take me three years to get that permit back in my hands. Wow. Yeah. So I've been here for a little longer than expected, but I do now call Cairns my home and I love it. Uh, but it has been the biggest, wildest journey of my entire life and probably ever will be, to be honest, because I had to take, well, I didn't have to, I chose to take state government to court. Um it was uh, some rights information requests showed that they paid their uh, lawyer $70,000 to fight me and all up it was probably a quarter of a million dollars uh, that they spent fighting our case. And in the end, we actually won. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Uh, so this was, <laughs> so you were, fi- so you, you took them to court mm-hmm. to get the permit. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah, just to get uh, a gr- uh, the permit granted. So people always say then, well, why wouldn't they just grant it? Why, why did they fight so hard to mm. not let you move a bunch of wallabies? I probably should have explained that as well. The yeah. reason we wanted to move these wallabies is because the development in the area has overcrowded. These wallabies have always been there, but they've been pushed and shoved over time into a smaller area. They're now landlocked surrounded by suburban areas, dogs, cats. We've got highways uh, mm. over the, since January 1st, just this year alone, there's been over 360 dead uh, that our team is wow. into. And they're only the ones that we know about as well. I always wonder which ones get hit and, you know, go down into creeks and gullies and we never find. Uh, so the, the situation is so terrible that they're, they're dying. Uh, they, they're starving now. We finally, I think it's finally at the tipping point. They have absolutely no more resources. Uh, they've hardly got any water left there because it's a dry season. So it's, it's just, it's just um, I would call it animal cruelty to mm-hmm. let these animals still sit there and suffer for this long. So our group, the Agile Project, we're a nonprofit group. We're just a community group. We have no jurisdiction over these animals. We're not Cairns Council or state government. We're nobody. We're not a developer, but we wanted to go in and help them. As you would well know, like sometimes you just have a calling and you just have to do this because nobody else really was doing anything. Uh, and that's the original reason why we applied for this permit. And we fought so hard because these animals are suffering. And when people ask me why I believe state government didn't give us the permit and they fought so hard is that it it causes a, a precedent. So if we mm-hmm. prove that relocation of macropods is possible, which by the way, everyone's always said that it isn't in large numbers and they all die from stress and all of this, then it sets the precedent that relocation should be considered an option over culling. Now culling, a couple of dollars a bullet, go in, shoot them all, job's done. That's that's how they see it. We mm. want to prove that relocation is more humane than culling because that's what they say. They call it a humane cull. What I'm trying to say and what our group says is how is going in and blasting the brains out of these animals humane? How is taking mm. their life uh, anywhere close to humane? And what we've found since we've started, we've now moved, I've done 20 this week, uh, so we've moved 170. Not one has died. One relocated wallaby has died from stress, uh, which uh, some wildlife carers and zookeepers might know, like the myopathy. And, of course, that was a little bit of a concern to us because that's what the science shows. But the biggest thing is these scientists that have tried to do macropod relocations in the past, they're not wildlife carers. They're scientists Mm. who uh, are only (laughs) doing it 
for data collection, if you know what I mean. They didn't know <laughs> yes. how to handle these animals. They, they, they treated them pretty poorly. And I believe that is why all the science says that it doesn't work because it didn't for them. So mm. getting in the right people who know how to handle them, know that stress and myopathy is definitely a thing. You need to figure out ways to combat that, which we have the vitamin E injection and also um, limiting all, all types of stress. So our team goes in uh, 3 a.m. in the mornings and we're like a SWAT team because human voices, that's a cause of stress. So we can't speak. Uh, if we speak, it's breaking our uh, code of silence. And that's obviously a bit of an emergency if we need to speak, but we have to like communicate with red headlamps, complete silence. It's kind of crazy. It's heaps of fun. It's definitely fulfilling like that Steve Irwin moment for all of us. Um, but yeah, it's been a, a really huge journey. And that's kind of the reason that I got involved um, because I just felt like it. Australia has gotten to the point where it's not just happening in the northern beaches anymore. Just before this, I was reading something down in Coffs Harbour. There's another situation where a massive amount of land is getting taken away from kangaroos that have been there this whole time, but people want to put a road through it now. And so that's all good. I don't fight development. There's there's no fighting it really because it's going to go ahead. But if you mm. want to just either uh, cull them or take the do-nothing approach, which sometimes is just as bad as culling, if not worse, uh, there, there's got to be another option. So there is, it is more costly and time consuming. Uh, but if we set that precedent that it is possible, I believe that we will have to choose that in future. And state government did not want that to be possible because it is harder to put uh, pretty bluntly. It's, it's a lot difficult. Uh, it's exhausting. I look yeah. like a zombie pretty much every day of my life at the moment because you can't get that sleep. Um, and it's it's probably uh, one of those physically exhausting things you have to do as well. I can't yeah. lift the 32 kilo boys. So I have to get guys that have been practicing at the gym for a couple of years to be able to handle these animals. On top of that, you need people with experience who know how to do it because when you've got a vicious animal, everyone thinks they're cute and fluffy. Eh, yeah. Put them up. <laughs> as you probably know, they are not. They, they are, are wanting to, to defend their lives. Um, and like, I've been in hospital a couple of times because of them. Mm -hmm. So they, they can be quite aggressive. And to try and find people that are confident enough to work with these animals, uh, on to, uh, as well as vets that yeah. are, are confident, because most vets deal with cats and dogs. And yes. especially yeah. here in Cairns, we definitely have a shortage of wildlife vets. So that's been another challenge in itself. Funding. Oh, my gosh. Mm. I just feel like I spend every day at the moment trying to figure out new ways that we can raise money for this. Uh, we never got any huge grants or anything to cover the cost. So we're having to like fund this by GoFundMes or tins of coins on mm -hmm. people's front desks. Like it's been a really big journey as well to get all the ducks in the road to even make it possible. Wow. I don't even know where to start with all this. <laughs> this is wow. wow. Okay. My first question was when, what year was it when you, you received the permit before you left Brisbane? Mm -hmm. So you received the permit, yeah. which was by apparent mistake. Yeah. Um, so what year was that? That was 2019. 2000, yeah. 2019. Okay. Yeah. And then they, they, they retract it. They took away your permit. They, mm. you came up here. They said you can't relocate these wallabies now for everyone who's listening because we do have people from overseas can you maybe let's let's start with what is a wallaby for starters mm -hmm. and then also uh, um or even macropods in general you can go anywhere you like there but also then tell us a little bit about the the, the specific agile mm -hmm. wallaby mm -hmm. yeah so macropods uh i think it means big foot doesn't it mm -hmm. yeah, yeah they're pretty incredible anyone would know of a kangaroo Essentially, it's a smaller kangaroo. Uh, agile wallabies, might I say, are a little bit smarter than the average kangaroo. They're very cheeky and, as you can imagine, uh, very agile. So they move fast. One of the mm. biggest differences I found with working with um, the, the different types of species is agiles are a, a, you know how there's that fight or flight 
they are flight. They just run. Mm. Uh, they will scream as well. They make this, I'm not going to even try and inter- like, <laughs> imitate oh, that. <laughs> they make this noise. Whereas when I've worked with kangaroos on rescues and everything, they do put up a fight. They turn around to try and like get you. Uh, both are very aggressive. So this, this um, they're not going to go and put on boxing gloves and go punch us, are they? Oh, it, it kind of infuriates me when I see those videos because that's what our international people are going to think of these animals. But they're actually just foragers. If you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone. They are grazers. Uh, kangaroos are, are primarily grazers. They might have a little bit of nibble on other things, but agile wallabies are also foragers. Uh, I call them nature's way of cleaning the forest floor as well. <laughs> They'll eat grubs and bugs and dirt, bird poop. They love it for some reason as well. Uh, so they're really intricate species. So a wallaby is a smaller kangaroo, but they can have muscles on muscles mm. as well. Oh, yes. I will say those boys, you oh do God. not want to mess with those no. boys. And it's <laughs> really exciting as well. Um, the the average uh, agile wallaby was said to be around 28 kilos. We've had a 35 kilo one in the before. So <laughs> that was a bit of an wow. effort to get him in the bag. Uh, but oh my goodness. Yeah, so, so that's kind of what a wallaby is. Because your project is called Agile um, Project. Yeah. Um, so specifically within that area of the beaches, the Cairns Beaches, Trinity Beach area, is Agile Wallabies. Yes. Um, have you ever seen any other species in there at all? Or is it just, uh, just not in the northern beaches? There are paddy melons, which are another okay, type of yeah. macropods, uh, about Red Lynch, a couple of suburbs away. Yeah. Uh, but no, so <laughs> it's funny when we get a rescue call and someone's like, it's a massive kangaroo, we just know it's a huge agile wallaby. Agile, yeah. <laughs> yep. And so basically for for people to understand, it's like you can you can be driving along the highway and people stop on the side of the road to see these most beautiful um, wallabies grazing there. But unfortunately, it's right next to a highway. Mm -hmm. And a lot of tourists, um, actually, their buses stop there to see them as well. But as you said, over time, everyone wants to come and move to North Queensland because it's absolutely beautiful. But what happens is the more people who come here, the more land that is taken and the more trees that are chopped down and grazing areas that are, uh, are taken over. So the Cairns beaches at one stage, I know when I moved here 21 years ago, um, it was there was definitely not that uh, nowhere near anywhere that amount of houses and development there. And there was a lot of room to be able to sustain um, that particular population and then you know nature does take its own own sort of path within within certain populations of, of the species anyway however what's happening here is you've got cars and you've like what you've said you've got dogs um, who just think it's really fun to chase the animals mm-hmm. and then it's just other um, stresses like the development the removal of things um, cars within that back-end trucks and all sorts of things. So then it's causing a lot of um, stress, but uh, uh, getting the, like they bolt and then they're being hit by cars, which is distressing for the cars, Mm -hmm. the the people in the cars, and then seeing them all over the roads, which is horrible in itself, uh, before you actually came and, um, you know, the, the, the project was created. It was actually quite distressing to see that many that were killed on the side of the road. Um, so in regards to the myopathy, can you explain to everyone listening what that is? And you did say stress, but 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 I have actually seen some of your Facebook posts before prior, really good explanation on the myopathy. And anyone can go to your, your, your I'll send them there eventually, but they can see exactly what you do. But if you can explain that, because I think it's really important, macropods specifically, um, you know, this is a big issue. And like what you said, so scientists, they do want the data. Yes. So they aren't actually zookeepers as such um, to know and understand that this happens. Mm-hmm. And this is this, this can happen if you move, if you work in a zoo, if you move one wallaby from one enclosure to the next enclosure, yeah. right next to it, yep. it can happen. Yeah. So explain a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, simply put, myopath- myopathy can be death from stress, but it doesn't necessarily mean death all the time. So they can get myopathy and it used to be uh, believed that once they get myopathy, 
that's it. There's no coming back from it. Uh, thankfully, us wildlife carers and um, probably some scientists have figured out that you can reverse the myopathy. So uh, vitamin E uh, is incredible for them. You can give that in injectable or oral. But the myopathy, what happens is uh, they get so stressed, so they start going, <laughs> they start breathing deeply, uh, and the lactic acid builds up in their muscles, and long story short, their muscles expand so much that they start going stiff and rigid, so it's a horrible death. It's pretty mm-hmm. much like your mind's still there, it might be racing, but the muscles have uh, stiffened so much that you can't move anymore. Now, really bad cases, it can, something can drop from myopathy in half an hour. But mm-hmm. usually you have this big stressful event and it's by people perhaps letting their dogs on these wallabies. That This is a, a case that I always use. The people go, oh, but my dog didn't catch the wallaby and kill it. It just chased it for a couple of minutes. You know, my dog got some exercise, but the wallaby's fine. Nuh-uh, that wallaby will either die within the next week or two, a really slow, painful death from the lactic acid buildup in its muscles, uh, and then we'll later on find this animal with no injuries on it, no broken bones, no wounds, but it's actually passed away. So if you catch it when it just passed away, you can tell it's really um, rigid and, and, and stiff. We, we usually put that down to the myopathy. Later on, they all go stiff, so it is a bit difficult to tell. But mm. it's a serious thing for most macro pods some macropods uh, are better dealing like you get a red kangaroo you could probably shake that thing and it won't even get stressed like they are fine they can deal with any type of stress with an agile it's not too bad but say you've got something like an eastern gray kangaroo or um, a much more sensitive wallaby or, or kangaroo they can um they can die pretty quickly. For example, and this is what I teach in our rescue courses and carers courses, my brother one time dropped a pot next to a wallaroo. They're a really cool species, cranky as hell. Mm. Um, but it, <laughs> it got myopathy just because a pot dropped next to it. And so we had to treat it for that as well. So mm. it's really, really um, scary. And, of course, when you're trying to trap animals like we are in the relocation and move them to an entirely different location with um, no real studies done on agile wallabies before, I, I had done as much as I could possibly do, but it wasn't until we got out in the field and actually tried this as well that we knew for sure whether it was going to work. So we've put in so many procedures and precautions in place to combat the myopathy and also prevent stress. Um, so... We're really, really happy to say that we haven't lost one relocated wallaby to stress. Now, that's not to say ones that we've caught that haven't had pre-existing myopathy or injuries that we have we haven't used. So we 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 have had to euthanize some because you know if you've, if I've got one in the trap and it's got a broken leg, I'm not going to relocate that one. If I've got one mm-hmm. in the trap and it's already got the lactic acid build up in its muscles, I'm not re- going to relocate it because it probably wouldn't survive the journey. So mm-hmm. it is a bit of a tough gig because you're a wildlife carer. Uh, you care obviously very deeply <laughs> for these animals, um, but I think that's where I, I really. Uh, put my scientist hat on and go, okay, I have to not relocate that particular one for the greater good. It is best that it gets euthanized. And we have to do that all the time as rescuers as well. People think, oh, you can uh, fix a broken leg of a kangaroo or wallaby, but this is a wild animal. There's Mm. there's no chance of it surviving uh, even after, if if, even if it did have surgery. On top of that, no vet's going to really operate on something. You have to have a tame animal in order to fix a broken leg because it has to sit still for a couple of weeks and there's no keeping wild animals still. So, Mm. yeah, that's also been a bit of a journey and coming to terms with with that reality. and also finding people yep. that are capable to be on the team that can can uh, comprehend mm. why it's best. Yeah, for sure. And so I didn't realize that myopathy can take that long. Yeah, because you, you you mentioned uh, weeks there, and I was yeah. like, ah, okay, yeah, I thought it was within you know hours or yeah. possibly even a day or two or something, yeah. but weeks. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't actually realize and it that. Depends on the type of. Um, Oh, like the personality. And I know some people, if you haven't worked with these animals, you're oh, they look like a school of fish. They're all the same. Like you look in those fields <laughs> and you're like, there's hundreds of them. They're all the same. But I tell you, boys, 
so much suckier than the girls. <laughs> Boys, um, so males seem to get myopathy way more, like a greater chance than females. So that's one thing. Uh, and we might have a joey that comes into care because it's being chased by a dog or something. It'll be fine because that personal joey, like the personality of it, it's just a breezy chill go and wallaby. Mm-hmm. Doesn't care. But we have another one kind of similar situation and it's just so frightened because that's the personality of that joey as well mm. so they really are so different i don't know how many joeys i've raised but every single one of them is so different and like i am just constantly amazed by the intelligence of them as well some and, and then maybe some i'm just like are you okay <laughs> like uh, some carers first time carers they might raise a girl and then a couple of months later, they'll have a boy. And they always think something's wrong with the boy. I'm like, no, no, that's just how they are. The boys develop a little bit slower than the girls. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I felt like this as a parent. I was like, <laughs> my, 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 my girls actually were really chill. And then I get a boy and I'm like, why won't he sit still? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so different. Yeah. Wow. So, um. So in re- in regards to your, I mean, by by the way, science is important. When we weren't mocking science mm-hmm. prior, we were just saying that there are at times where um, scientists or or people come in with with this is how it should be done because this is something that's been studied, um, not necessarily. Um, completely and utterly in the field Uh, yes the majority is in the field but not to the extent of say getting information and knowledge from zookeepers or wildlife carers and so forth who are with them around the clock you know with the animals they get to see it from a different perspective so I think if um if that science or biologists and ecologists and whoever else works with with um, zookeepers and with wildlife carers, and um, I, I think a bigger picture can be created and um, better care. Yeah, uh, to be honest. Yes. So um, with you mentioned vets before, so we we don't have many wildlife vets here in North Queensland. Um, I've actually worked with Peter Barrett for a very, 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 very long time, like 21 years since <laughs> yeah. I've worked in zoos and his, and um, also Annabelle Olsen. Um, so is there, who do you work with and who, is there other others in camps? Yeah, uh, Max Farger, Dr. Max Farger, he's incredible. So he, I don't know why or how where he is, did it. Where is he? He's uh, just opened my pet hub in Redland. She's also got the Balaclava oh, Clinic yes. and uh, Brinsmead. So yes. he's been our leading vet uh, Amazing. supporting the relocation the whole time. He actually was in court with us and stood up and had to say his piece in court as well. Uh, so he's been incredible. Um, and I think he's just got a lot of experience, especially just working with our rehab group every mm. like yesterday I rocked up with oh I've got a joey oh by the way I just picked up this snake can you have a look at it so <laughs> the more that you work with these animals the more experience you get but uh definitely vets um it's they're incredible but the majority of them study cats and dogs and yeah. so you are so right in saying that we have a shortage of them in far north Queensland. Mm-hmm. I've worked some, with some incredible ones, especially down south, and I'm just like blown away. I'm like, please move up here. <laughs> um, and so, who who foots the bill mm-hmm. with with the with with all this? Because I mean, there's so many carers who are out there doing an amazing job. Yeah. But who actually foots this bill? Yes. Well, luckily, Dr. Farger gives us a discount, but mm. uh, you can't give discounted drugs and medication that's not legal (laughs) Uh, so we do a whole fundraising event to even get one joey through surgery or we have to constantly on top of the relocation do all of these fundraising things for for the joeys and we're almost non-profit charity status as well which is really exciting with massive applications oh my gosh if i could give away all the paperwork i would just be so happy but uh, (laughs) that is another big part of our group as well so we currently have 52 joeys in care and to put that in perspective one joey that comes in from a pinky all the way up until uh pre-release or fully release is around a thousand dollars to get there at nowhere uh we've never been able to raise that much money so we just like to help the carers out as much as possible by giving them formula uh but it's just a lot of fundraising and to be honest it's very exhausting um Yeah. yeah but the the this relocation is uh it's it's just a good point to make funded by people who raise money for this 
we are not getting paid. I've never been paid a cent in my life or anything I do at the moment, which is fine. Uh, but that's another thing. Scientists and these people who are hired to do these studies or to go and relocate uh, a group of wallabies uh, are usually paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. So mm. the people are in it maybe for the data and maybe for a little bit of money, if you know what I'm saying. So the, our priority here isn't the funding and isn't um, it is the data because I want to prove this works, but I think the motive for why we're doing this is also what makes it so successful. A very quick announcement to make that I'm so excited. Our home education virtual portal is up and running and you can visit that at www.australianwildlifeeducation.com and if you are a parent or you know other parents who have children ages 4 to 12, this one is specifically for them and they get to learn more about Australian wildlife. And there's absolutely nothing with getting paid, by the way. Like I think it's you guys actually... Um, have created the project, you do all the paperwork, you do everything else. And so this is the thing with not-profit, organ, non-for-profit organisations is that you still need to run as a, as a normal business. Yeah. You still need to pay all the bills and, and at times within not-profit organisations if enough funding is, is there, then some people need to be compensated for their time yeah. money-wise so then you can still survive and you can still live. So anyone who argues that I think it does not understand what a non-profit actually means yeah. as well. It just means that any profits made you can't take and put in your own pocket and go on a holiday. Mm. It just means it's put back into the project and it continues to survive year after year after year after year. Yeah. But for you to actually get the funding, it does come from um, grants or it comes from fundraising or it comes from donations or it comes from um, other ways um, getting the community to help and that's awesome it just means that mm. you're you guys are kind of the the driving force to the project mm. so over time I, I'm, I'm honest in saying that every single non-profit mm. especially the person or the persons working so hard within it should be still compensated yeah. at some stage financially for your time mm. and if I and could your... get paid for what I'm doing one day that yeah. would be the ultimate goal and um, you and my coaches yeah. both say the same thing I obviously have issues with taking money at the moment we can't because we don't have enough funding to I think it's that. It, <laughs> I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it may be the perception of others yeah. who, uh, which then you take on board. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's the perception of the community, it's perception of others, it's perception of them in what they believe non-profit mm -hmm. should be run or how it should be run um, and therefore you take that on board because, yeah, you obviously have some sort of a belief in there too. Mm -hmm. um, but then therefore you you shield yourself from that mm -hmm. because it's it, look to be honest uh, it, being a wildlife carer um you guys have bullets and 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 at times you actually throw them amongst each other yeah. by the way yeah. within the wildlife carer world mm -hmm. um and there it's it's quite a tough kind of um it is. it's, it's uh, so I, I get blown away and zookeepers as well like zookeepers I, are the same I had yep. one of my friends and she's recently just gonna start to be a zookeeper and I was like good luck like watch out just don't take it on 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 board really what other people are going to say because they will say it and I was actually speaking like I'm very open I go to therapy uh, because of the trauma that I see I see dead wallabies I have for a long time even when we're growing up we had um constant bullying I was <laughs> I was like with the school bus would drive past and they'd be like who is that and I, and I was like oh my gosh that's my mum protesting for the wallaby. So you can only imagine like <laughs> how I felt as a child growing up in this. And then it always like carried on. I've always been nervous um, to speak up about it. I've only really found my voice in the past few years. We had um, farmers drop off dead wallabies on our doorstep at some stage. It was, it was all traumatic. Um, and so I was recently speaking to my therapist about this. And I was like, why are wildlife carers, especially the <laughs> ones who've been in it for so long, so jaded why are they like this and she explained it to me and I don't think I'm ever gonna forget this she says that us rescuers and wildlife carers we see and go through so much death we spend two weeks sometimes two months working on an animal for it to just not nah, just drop dead and if we were to sit there and fully grieve um mm. in the normal way that everyone else does around death we would be um 
emotionless and that's what she's saying people actually become they switch off parts of their emotions because if we we don't have enough time to grieve the next joey or the next animal's already in but what she's saying is when people switch off these emotions for grief um, and trauma and death they're also switching it off in other parts of them and that's mm-hmm. where this really bullying uh Uh, gossiping kind of side of them starts to come out and that's what fuels them and fills their cup unfortunately Mm. and she said it's okay you're young you're not going to become like I was like I don't want to become like (laughs) this and she said grieve every loss whether it's a loss of a wallaby a possum or if it's a loss of uh like a failure she says you have to grieve it and it's not going to you don't have to sit there crying your heart out because I was like I don't, I don't really cry like I'll go to rescue yeah. scenes and people are like is she okay like she's awesome. <laughs> but um she she taught me some really great techniques like take a little pebble take it home yep. put it on like a little shrine yep. and just light a candle and she said that will help you over the long run more than you could possibly ever know absolutely and um, that's, you know, mental yeah. health has been a huge thing of mine. When I, when we worked down in the bushfires and um, a couple of years ago, uh, I could deal with all the death, but I could not um, necessarily deal with the people problems. I came back mm. to emotional wreck because it was just so hectic. Um, you just get criticized for everything you do. Everything you do. Yep. You just saved your life criticism. So it, it just becomes mm-hmm. the point where I've just it's it's human nature to feel it, but you have to just kind of feel it and let it roll off. And and it's so yeah. hard to do that, I know, but it's I'm just I'm really a massive advocate for therapy and speaking to people about it because mm-hmm. otherwise you're not gonna last long in this field or you are gonna last long and you're gonna end up jaded. So yeah, it's a, it's a big thing and I never ever predicted that when starting this project. I didn't realize how bad it would become. I've actually had to get some lawyers and stuff on board in certain times mm. because these people, it got so bad defamation. Um, people just create these crazy scenarios and rumors about you and then put it all online. It was it was very painful. But now oh, we're finally at the stage where we're proving this stuff successful. And I think it's ease, but I just want to keep speaking up about it because I know there's hundreds of people out there that get criticized for what they do um, mm. and it's not they really don't deserve it because we're all trying I think that's what people forget we're all trying to help these animals here um, and exactly you, the same thing right you're, yeah. you're all in this together we're all in this together so instead of criticizing each other just be like okay yeah you made a mistake and you might have hurt that animal rather than saving it okay next time don't do that because we, we're not going to learn and we're just going to really resent mm. each other if we're not um, having this this attitude where we yep. can all get through it together yeah, and that's it. And this is the thing is that um, when with, with all this bitterness and jadedness, it comes with a perception of perfection. Mm-hmm. And it's like no one is perfect. Everyone. And therefore, exactly what you said, how about a conversation with curiosity is created around that? What yeah. did you do? How did you do this? Maybe, well, I've tried this. Have you tried that? Mm-hmm. And then therefore, both sides are actually learning something new, seeing different perspectives. And And then also learning, well, actually, this is on a highway, so maybe it's a little bit different to your experience in the middle Mm. of the bush with no outside kind of issues. So let's get together and have a discussion about this, a Mm -hmm. roundtable or a chat on the phone or whatever it is so we can actually achieve the same goal that you and me want Mm -hmm. and and that's that's the biggest part I I do hear a lot of things and it's really disappointing and as we said within zookeeping um a lot of individual zookeepers are amazing towards each other um but there is a lot of that um still competition Mm -hmm. and um yes stuff like that but but i I have the most amazing friends who are all being zookeepers from different zoos, mind yeah. you. Yeah. Sometimes there's the zoo against zoo, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's really silly. But, yeah. um, but but in the end we're all there for education, yeah, right? Yeah. We're all there for the care of the animal uh-huh. and our ideals around it. Mm-hmm. And why don't we get curious about each and everyone's yeah. ideals yeah. around what it is we're trying to actually achieve? Yeah. And thank you for being so honest about mental health and about the issues because – this is one thing that I think is really important is that we, and I'm just saying we as like a collective, um, a lot of 
a lot of people keep things inside and we don't talk about it. And so for me, I really admire what you've just said and done because I've also been through the same thing and still continue mm-hmm. to this day. Mm-hmm. Mind you, I'm 21 years in the industry, yeah. Shay. It's, it's, it, it, it doesn't, it changes, but it's, it just rolls off your back. Yeah. You and, need and, it help all the time. I think everyone should get a therapist or at least someone they can talk to. I can't believe um, we don't have it. And then yeah. there's still this like, yeah. oh, you you go to therapy, what's wrong with you? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> I want to learn about myself and I want to learn why people yes. behave these ways. And you yes, hit it on perfect. the head before, competition. Like why why are we competing to be a zookeeper or a wildlife carer? Uh, you, what's that saying? Like dimming someone else's light isn't going to uh, something about your sparkle it's so true like I just don't mm-hmm. understand why we can't all celebrate each other yeah. but I, yeah. I actually have this sticky note that oh, yeah. has been um in front of my desk for years and it says don't shine light on anything you don't want to grow yes. and so that's something that I'm reminded of every single time I sit at my desk because there are things that will come up in people's mm. ideals or perceptions yeah. or criticisms or whatever it is it's just like what we've mentioned it's human nature although I wish it wasn't mm-hmm. um and I think what you have said before is you're you actually want to learn about yourself and you have that awareness so there's there's nothing like I don't see anything wrong with you because you have the awareness mm-hmm. and you have the honesty with yourself to go hang on a minute I'm I'm either not coping with this or I would actually like to understand why people do this with each other so I'm able to sleep better mm-hmm. at night mm-hmm. um, and therefore understand that it's actually a projection of the person yeah. who is actually throwing that at you yeah. and it's not about you in the end it's just that you Shay are the person standing in front of other people and they either want to be you or they admire you so much that it therefore shows up their insecurities and they need to dim yours mm-hmm. because that means there's a dim yeah. because because you're the shining light in front of them of what they actually want or what they uh, maybe maybe they've also been criticised themselves in that way, so they're just passing on the bomb. You mm-hmm. know, they don't want to carry that bomb anymore. They're going to throw it at you. Yeah. Um, you should be so proud of yourself because, and I and I believe that you are, <laughs> um, because you have come so far. Not only have you taken on the state government in court, mind you, that is massive in itself. You need courage. You need an ego. You need tenacity. You need all the things that people probably a lot of people don't like but you can't do this without having all of that and like what you said you you aren't giving you aren't gaining anything financially although I believe that you should I do I absolutely do and and um and you're the one who have stepped forward and go I'm going to create a team I'm going to work together and create this beautiful agile project. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I'm also going to, I, I have this, this is the thing about you is you're, you're like, I actually have a belief that relocation of macropods can work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have that belief. That is your model of the world right now. That is your reality. And therefore, you are creating that with a team. Obviously, you're not doing it alone. And you have now just removed, you have now relocated 170 wallabies and none of them have passed away with stress. Some of them have been injured in the capture. That's the reality of the situation. But it's, that, that happens, mm-hmm. right? If you're going to actually believe that 100% of things is going to go 100% perfect, mm-hmm. then you're going to be curled up in the corner. Yes. <laughs> um, like totally beating yourself up mm-hmm. because so therefore you don't have that reality, Shay. Mm. Like you're actually going forward and you're going, right, I believe this is going to work. And this isn't just because you woke up one day. You've also done your study, your research, you've lived it, you grew up around it. And you're now showing that it can possibly be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit more about where your site, like you don't have to give away your site as, as itself, but how did you choose the site? Because um, this 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 can be a, a a common sort of issue where they go, cool. Well, we want we want koalas to be relocated to a certain area, but yet they were never actually found in that area. Mm-hmm. So where you're putting the agiles now 
were or are they found in that area or were they found in the area and are no longer mm-hmm. there? Um, so maybe maybe explain a little bit about the relocation um, choices yeah. and, and a bit behind it. Yeah, so we currently have five sites that have been approved. The first two took a year and a half to assess uh, and now that wasn't done by, be- by me, even though I'm an ecologist and got, got my degree and everything. I was like, oh, I don't think I should do this because I need yeah, to have cool. an individual party that does it, yep. uh, that has way more knowledge than I do. And I also wanted to learn off them. I'm like, so how do you do it? Mm-hmm. It's like a side assessment. Uh, so that was uh, a couple of um, Dr. Martin Cohen, which I know has been on your podcast. I listened to that one recently. He was actually one of the ecologists that did the assessment. So the main things, nowhere near suburban area. <laughs> That's number yes. one. Yes, some sites have got wallabies on them, but all sites have previously had wallabies. There's two sites that were cane lands and then um, over the past, well, how many years have got uh, revegetated and they're just beautiful away from highways and roads. That's been probably the most difficult one because who has a property these days that isn't near some road? You need a road to get Mm. to it. So how do you get to the roads? Uh, But we have had, I would say, four out of five are really perfect. There's one that's like, okay, maybe it's not going to be as perfect to the others. But like you said, we can't get perfect all the time. Uh, (laughs) And it's, yeah, I guess that that's another part of it as well that people don't see. We have had to assess these sites for years uh, luckily I was trained and taught how to do the site assessment and I completed the last three assessments alongside one of my, uh, volunteers who's a botanist. He's incredible, complete, uh, plant nerd freak. I love it. Oh, love it. <laughs> I do the animals. I do not know much about plants. I'm more than happy to admit it. They don't move. So they don't interest me as much as the animals <laughs> do. Um, but it's, yeah, it's been pretty cool to see, uh, how, my skill set has developed over these past few years as well because I, I didn't know how to do this. Uni teaches you one thing, but oh my gosh, like real life experiences. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. I uni, yeah, yeah uni, uni only gets you the certificate yes. that gives you the credibility, but you learn everything actually yeah. on the job and moving forward. Uh huh. I think most people just say uni taught me how to write and be organized, and I would yeah. kind of agree with that. Of course, I chose like a lot of abnormal behavior subjects and um, a, a yeah, few. Of our own macropod interest ones. <laughs> curiosity absolutely yeah. yeah yeah but the actual relocation um oh, so funny I heard a rumor the other day uh and I wonder if a few people believe this that we uh darted 400 wallabies and shoved them in a van over the past few nights and <laughs> I was like yes that's hilarious wow, <laughs> I wish it was that van. simple um but there's actually no darting involved at all or no herding. Herding and darting are always done in those scientific papers and that leads to a really poor success. So they're scared. Imagine if you like were a wallaby and your friend just got hit with a dart next to you and then you got hit with a dart and then you all herded into one area. Of course you're gonna feel stress. So there's actually none of that. There's these things called Thomas traps we use and they're individual specialized traps for agile wallabies. There's only one manufacturer in Australia. I'm hoping maybe one day our team might be another manufacturer (laughs) Um, because we've made quite a few adjustments on them to suit different species. Uh, And they're, long story short, wallabies love sweet potato. It's like that chocolate. It's like healthy chocolate. I wish we had healthy chocolate. And you put it at the back of the trap. And then when the wallaby steps on a little treadle, the trap door closes. Now my thing was like, okay, is that going to scare the wallabies? So we set up cameras. Not one wallaby ever has ever been scared by the trapdoor closing because it makes like a little ding like noise they are so hungry stressed and um well I say they're stressed because these animals out in the in the fields um are always getting chased by dogs so that's why I'm very cautious that they might already have pre-existing myopathy but they're so hungry and so infatuated with sweet potato does not bother them so we put enough in there for them to happily sit there munching away for 20 minutes before they know it because we use red light so we don't disturb them and we're extremely quiet so I've moved all the sticks and leaves and everything in order to get to this trap so we're not even like cracking or doing any of that noise we go in we've also got biker jackets on because we had to figure out a way to protect ourselves because I got a bit of a nasty scratch in the beginning and our safety team was like 
nah, you got to figure that out. So we look ridiculous, right? We're all in black, in like khaki or black. We've got biker jackets on. I've got a red headlamp. I've got like three people running behind me. We run up to the trap that's like shaded with a, a barrier as well. So they can't see us coming if they, because they can see a bit in the dark as well. Um, they're, they're nocturnal creatures. And before they know it, they're sitting there eating potato. We unzip it as quickly as we can, get them by the base of the tail. This does not hurt them. And you really grip on and you hold on to that base of tail and pull them out of the trap. The second person, we call them the bagger. It looks like a, a bit of a sleeping bag or something. It's a shade cloth bag, so it's breathable. You put them in the bag. Now, that sounds simple, and a lot of the time it is like, do, do, it's like all good. But then if you've got a 35-kilo male, I don't grab those ones. I get one of the big guys here, um, and it's a bit of a, a bit aggressive. So, yeah, it might take a little bit of extra a couple of seconds to do. By the time they're in the bag, we actually put two shade cloth bags on because that keeps them nice and snuggly. It's like they go back to that state where they're in a pouch and they feel nice and safe and secured as soon as their eyes are covered and in that bag um they just calm down instantly instantly like there's no fighting whatsoever it's really cool to watch and, and do and then we sedate them uh it's not completely unconscious uh it's diazepam which as you know probably would it, it gives them a nice happy bit of a daze and they can go to sleep if they choose or they can stay awake uh, and then give them a vitamin e injections and also some worming medication because we don't want to be spreading any parasites so the next release that as well and so our team um was averaging around a minute and a half by the time we touched the animal to the time it's sedated but now we're about 52 seconds Ooh, so wow. as long as you can and this is where the science has come in handy and we've also done a bit of our own research if you keep the time that you're handling to sedation under three minutes they don't develop myopathy unless of ah. course they have the pre-existing myopathy because then it's already in their system right. that lactic acid builds up but a lot of them just well the majority of them they just they don't develop it um the, the ones that have got it, then they usually will die on scene. But that's been like less than 2%. So mm. it's, it's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, eight die on the roads a day. Okay, you're going to shoot me if a couple of them die in this relocation because they're already stressed by dogs chasing them or some other, mm. like, because we have kids stoning them, hitting them with rocks and stuff. Who knows what goes out on, in those fields? So it's a really um, quick process. And that I, that's really why they don't develop the myopathy. So could you imagine a bunch of scientists trying to do that? Oh, my gosh, we got one scientist in. Uh, let's just say uh, he was terrified. In he, he was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Put it down. Put it down. And I was like, shh, no, no, no. Like, you have to just Bless be able him. to hold on to it, bag it, sedate it. And that's where a wildlife vet really comes in handy because they need mm. to have kind of enough um, game to go in and, and sedate that animal as well. Wow. So yeah, that, that certainly is a costly process mm -hmm. of, of all that relocation. So you've got the worming, you've got the sedation, you've got then the manpower. And obviously if you just added up all those volunteer hours, which are volunteer, mm -hmm. um, that is really your whole project is, is massive yeah. from a financial scheme of things as well. And so in regards to you being able to even fund that, you were saying that you, you know, sometimes you have a tin, um, you're doing um, collecting people's shrapnel or um, being able to do, um, I think I saw that you were doing a, a, um, a raffle, mm -hmm. um, you get donations and if you can, then you try and apply uh, for funding yeah. um, or a, a, a grant. How can people, so you're saying that you had a GoFundMe page, mm -hmm. do I, is that correct? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get all that information off you and I will also put it in the podcast um, description. Mm -hmm. So anyone who wants to help out the Agile project um, with Shay and her team, then you can actually donate or go to the GoFundMe page and, and so forth and be able to, to help because once they're up in this site, mm -hmm. then do you guys continue to care for them, um, monitor them? Uh, what 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 happens from there? Because that that's this is this is here, <laughs> and then the relocation, and then what's what's yeah. that? Uh, so once they're all bagged, we can only move ten at a time because that's all the poor van can handle. We had like almost two hundred kilos hanging off the ceiling the other day. We got. Wow. quite a few big boys that day uh they hang in the relocation van we let them go on release site that's the easiest part open the bags they're like 
they, they're, they're gone. gone yeah. Uh, but they have all been tagged with AirTag. So there, uh, there is a really intense eight-week monitoring period. We have cameras scattered all throughout the sites uh, that are really good to pick up the numbers, the AirTags and everything. So hmm. when we say, I know they're surviving out there, they've survived eight weeks. And then I also, because I just love monitoring. That's like my favorite part of it because I want to know it's successful. I want to, and I'm also like, <laughs> I'm a scientist, so I love keeping all the data because I want to be able to replicate yep. it. Uh, but we're also are fundraising at the moment to uh, improve our monitoring equipment. There are these little tags that are solar and they're GPS that have been used on wombats and koalas really successfully. And every two hours it pings and you can know exactly where that wallaby is. Mm-hmm. So that's our next stage of monitoring. So cool. we're really excited for that one. Um, but previously, the past 170, they've all got an air tag. I must admit, some big boys get away without an air tag. So I'm like, I'm not mm-hmm. risking our lives for that. Um, they're, they're pretty aggressive. But yep. yeah, the monitoring is really, really important because now that we've proven it's, it's successful and I've hand on it, handed on our data and I've also done a bit on Facebook and whatnot, uh, other wildlife groups all around Australia are reaching out to us and saying, oh my gosh, you can move them you can move them. We all thought they died. Can we have your protocols and procedures? And I'm like, yes, but I also want to come and train you because if I give everything away to one group and they don't do it like it needs to be done and mess Mm -hmm. it up, I'm really protective of that because yes, we're moving these 400 wallabies. That's how many we've got approval from. But this 400 wallabies can potentially save other thousands of macropods all around Australia. So we need to make sure we're doing it right. Uh, So that's a really big other exciting project that we're working on um next year i might be going around australia and training other people to do something similar uh because i Perfect. do believe yes. like i said relocation is an option and it's getting to the point where we do not want to be killing our national emblem like crazy and this is mm. what a lot of people outside of australia if you're in you probably are in the know our government does not care much for these animals. They do not invest the time, energy, and money into these animals. It is non-profit wildlife groups, zookeepers, um, conservation centers, and everything advocating for the safety of these creatures, whether this be kangaroos, macropods, wallabies, wombats, koalas. It's really all the people that just care a lot. Yeah. Uh, and when we're not in government government positions, oh, we, we, we're the, it's the people that aren't getting paid or maybe are getting paid but just have to have the loud enough voice to speak up about it because yeah. I am so shocked. Uh, that's one thing I've learned over these past few years. Our state government really does not want to take the maybe mm-hmm. more difficult option. They will always go for the easy option and it's always about money and it's always about what is less time-consuming, less money and and all of those kind of things. For the government. For yes. the government, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's so many, oh, I can think of so many people who just do such an amazing job for our wildlife and you've got the tree kangaroos, which is Dr. Karen Coombs and you've got Jenny Gilbert and you've got, um, well, wombats. There's a few people who deal with the wombats. Then you've got other wallabies that are around. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got the quolls, like there's a few different quoll societies or quoll um, rescue people and it's all people who um, – believe in 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 doing that because they love wildlife they love nature they love um they're 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 the children who who grew up quirky with wildlife or or the curiosity with nature right um to then go forward and bring that and create change Mm -hmm. and 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 a lot of it is out of our own back pockets Mm -hmm. or encouraging the community to get on board and to help us out um financially or um um, manpower like what you said uh, for you to be able to get a team together I'm sure would, was actually really difficult yeah. <laughs> um, and then a van and then the manpower to build fences and what you've done on the highway there to be able to protect um, the wallabies that are left what what is so you've got a permit for 400 Mm-hmm. What about the rest of them? Mm-hmm. So we did a population count the other day. There's still 700. Wow. 700. And the field right next to the highway has around 360 every single afternoon. So that is an unsustainable population. We uh, have permission to move another 250. or well, we've moved 20 recently. But 
I I've told council you will have to fund. I, I I've I have to ask for funding. I'm gonna do it <laughs> because mm-hmm. I can't keep it's not sustainable. We're all burning ourselves out. And why Absolutely. should we? Why should yeah. we go to this much effort when there are people in higher powers with the money? million on flying foxes, uh, relocation (laughs) for them, but not handing over a cent for the wallaby relocation that's proven successful for these creatures. It's not only a benefit for these animals, it's a benefit for the community. So we don't Mm. have kids and adults crying on the sides of the roads every day. I swear that's half my job. I go out to rescue. I can deal with all the death and everything. I'm not the best comforter, but I have to be. Because we have (laughs) members of public sitting there going, oh, my God, there's this dead animal and some people have unfortunately gotten used to it but some people haven't it's 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 Mm. just death city along that highway so Mm. yeah it's a it's a bit of um an issue but I, I I plan to move another 400 after the 250 I plan to get the 400 funded by grants or someone making a big donation then you're left with well, we worked it out, population dynamics, stats and everything. That land can sustain 150. Mm-hmm. I would prefer 100. Uh, yeah. And we can get it down there. But there's this new drug called Gonicon, and it's a contraception for the females that you can uh, uh, inject into them. So we can either trap them and inject it just by um, mm. just an easy injectable, or you can uh, possibly go and dart. Darting's like a little bit of an issue, like I said, though. So mm. we are looking at other ways. I have to get my gun license. That's going to be fun <laughs> if I'm <laughs> the one to do it. But it's it's a really tricky situation, but we have a plan. And if we just got the help through funding that we needed, we would make it work. No more animals have to suffer. Fencing, fence off the highway so they can't get along there. Fence off the suburban area. You can't fence them all in. But um, I think council has just dedicated the last block of land that hasn't really been developed into a nature reserve. Uh, so that's really exciting. And our volunteers are going to help revegetate that because you need um, these animals are food driven. You give them beautiful grass, they will sit there on the beautiful grass instead of going out to suburban area and eating someone's well maintained lawn. So we do have um, a plan. And I just need help. I do need a little bit of a break off this 250. As you could imagine, um, four days a week, three or four days a week, waking up at 3 a.m., it does take a toll on you on top of all of the everything else. I'm also the macropod coordinator for our group and so many Joey and people problems go on there. Um, (laughs) So I plan to smash out this 250 by the end of the year, take a little break, come back, do another 400 with our incredible team. Oh, my gosh. Like every morning we're just beaming. We're like, we got that. Um, well big <laughs> shout out to your team yes, today like honestly amazing. that's amazing so every single person that works with you and volunteers mm. and does all that I seriously I take my hat off to you, you. I uh, it's uh, can I ask a very personal yeah. question can I ask how old you are I'm 23 23 <laughs> no way I don't know if it's because I, I I know I look like I've aged this like really bad no relocation. it's I skipped a couple of grades in school, then went straight to uni. I never got to go out drinking and partying, so because I was always too young compared to my peers, so I missed that stage of my life. Maybe it'll happen. You've been a wallaby mum all these yeah, years. Yeah, a wallaby mum. <laughs> but Shay, you're 23 years old, and look what you've been able to achieve. And you started this process um, in 2019 in regards to the application. Obviously, to get the application granted at that particular time, it was prior to that you would have been thinking about it and hearing about it and putting things in into motion so you should be so damn proud of yourself and I tell you what I will spruik everything that you do and putting all issues aside between each and every single person and group and opinions and science and questions and oh everything else I think that um one important thing that if if I and and I I already know that you're going to be doing it and you do do it is just to encourage you to have that um tenacity and the grit to to power forward and ask people who are in the bat society how did you get that grant can we sit down and have a bat cocktail and <laughs> which is a great idea um and and actually talk about like the reality of the situation um and and some and and, and it, I, I just feel that people just need to put their differences aside mm-hmm. um and I'm I'm sure 
people listening are from groups or or so forth. We're all in this mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Say a lot. Every, <laughs> like, yeah. It is the same. We we love the animals the same. We um, we want to save them or find a solution. We want to do all sorts of things. Like everyone is in it. I'm in education. So why would I be fighting against all the zoos? We're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would I be arguing and fighting against all the other wildlife educators doing exactly the same thing as me? Let's work together. Yeah. Let's get this information out there. Let's help our, like the actual goal, which is wildlife education and also wildlife relocation and wildlife caring and actually being able to go out there and enjoy our beautiful natural world. And, you know, um, if, if, if we don't have more people like yourself at the age of 23, <laughs> mind you, but you started obviously way earlier than that, well done to you. Thank you. So thank you for everything that you and your team do. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. And thank you to you as well. Just like you said, wildlife education, animal education, teaching people from a young age, which is what you do, mm-hmm. to love mm-hmm. and respect our animals is just so important for so many reasons. Even if they don't go off to be the biggest wildlife lover, one day they'll say, oh my gosh, I got to stop for that animal mom or dad. Or Mm -hmm. when they're an adult, they will stop and help that animal. And I'm just so, so lucky that I I got the opportunity to speak with you. It's been incredible. Thank you for being so open and and having me uh, on here to have the opportunity to share a bit of my story. I love real conversations. Yeah. That's something that really fills my cup. So thank you yeah. for also being honest and open and vulnerable and every, and all the, the good <laughs> things that make a great conversation. And hopefully everyone listening out there, and we have some locals um, uh, within the Cairns region, um, keep an eye out for those signs. I do believe that you're trying to get funding or, or get approval for more wildlife signs to be put out there of awareness mm-hmm. of, you know, slow down, keep an eye out. Um as we see with our cassowaries and um, and other sort of signs out there with with koalas or wallabies around, um, and I believe you get the wombat ones when you're in those <laughs> areas of Australia. What yeah. else have I seen? I've seen other funny ones as well oh, with with sure. wildlife crossings. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I think I, I believe I'll get you back. Uh, let's let's try for next year because I would love to know how you've gone for the rest of the year for for the project where you're at and let's talk off air I've got um, some ideas to be able to get the kids involved to um, maybe raise some some money or to do some more awareness for the project that you guys do so great yeah thank you so much amazing and everyone out there make sure you go to the podcast um, notes and information I'm going to put all Shay's um, project links there you can also donate money or just connect with her and tell her and her team how amazing they are all right So have a great week and I'll I'll, uh, connect with you soon, Shay. Thank you. Thanks so much. Wow, another awesome wild chat, which I hope you really enjoyed because I can tell you now I absolutely did. I would really love to connect with you all as well. So please don't forget to find us on Facebook and Instagram, which you can get the links in our podcast show notes. I have them right there for you. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us by spreading the word. You can also take a screenshot of the episode you just listened to, share it on your socials and tag us in it, of course. We would also love a review. If you have time, please jump on your podcast channel you just listened to us on and give us a review. Give us some feedback and don't forget to click that big subscribe button, which of course helps us spread the word even further and for you to also be notified for any upcoming episodes. If you are somebody or know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who would love to be on our Australian Wildlife Education Wild Chats, please send them my way or get in contact with me. Also in the show notes, you can find all those details on how to get in contact. I love chatting and also learning from others who can showcase their knowledge, their expertise, but also their passion and any projects that they might have going on. So please reach out to me as I would love to get you on our podcast. But otherwise, I hope you're all amazing. I hope you're all having a great day. And I, well, you'll be hearing from me in the next wild chat. See you next week. Bye.